You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to the Women in Archaeology Podcast, Episode 11. Today the panel is discussing going back to school, grad school that is, how to survive it, how to plan for it, how to pay for it, and how to keep your social life intact while you're in there. Today's panel consists of Chelsea Slotten, Emily Long, Lindsay Doyle, and Sarah Head. Let's join the conversation. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Women in Archaeology podcast. My name is Chelsea Slotten. I am one of the regular co-hosts on this show. And today we're going to be talking about going back to school. It's kind of that time of the year. So to start off, I am a current PhD student at American University. I got my master's in 2012 and went back for to start my PhD last year. So I took about three and a half years off between my master's and my PhD. I am joined tonight by uh, Emily Long, Sarah Head, Hello. and Lindsay Doyle. Thanks, ladies. Hello. Hi. <laughs> and Lindsay, if you don't mind starting off, I think this is your first time on the show, so do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and uh, what your educational background is? Um, okay, sure. Yeah, I um, I got into the field actually a couple of years after I had graduated from undergrad and um, worked in the field for um, about five years before deciding to go back to school. I had gone to SUNY Geneseo for my um, my bachelor's. And, um, you know, everybody kept telling me when I first got into the field, you know, get some, some time in the field under your belt before you do grad school. Um, you really need to understand the field and how it works, you know, before you're kind of kicked up to that, that next level. And, um, you know, as it happens, um, I ended up taking some time off from the field and school and everything all together when I had my daughter about a year and a half ago. And at that point, I, I think I was still very intimidated by the idea of actual grad school. Um, I still am. <laughs> but I was like, you know, I can't, I can't do field life anymore. I have to, um, transition into a more stable, um, situation. And yet I still love what I do. So how can I make this work? Um, which is how I, um, ended up deciding to go back for just a GIS certification. I'm doing it online at a community college out of North Carolina where I was working until just earlier this year. And um, actually got a job before I had finished and kind of did the move, um, have relocated to Knoxville, Tennessee, and am now working full-time while finishing that up and being mom. So that's me. That sounds busy. Yeah. <laughs> It's a, it's a full schedule for sure, but um, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade any of it. So, um, and and you know, it has kind of gone the full spectrum of like you know starting out. I'd say in the beginning, um, I felt like you know this is this is great. I can I can put so much more focus into what I was what I'm doing than when I was going to undergrad. You know, in undergrad, you're I don't know you're you're pulled this way and that by a lot of different distractions. And this time around, I was real focused. And then bam, <laughs> like job offer and move happened kind of all at one time. And I was like, well, not turning it down. <laughs> so yeah. here we go. And and that's when it really got hard to kind of keep all the balls in the air, as I was saying when I first got on on the on the line with you guys here. Um, but I'd say that's about the point where 
you know, I, I just kind of had to power through and finish that semester. And now, you know, we're kind of back into more of a normal rhythm, even though it, now work is in the picture. It's for me it, it, right now, it's just a matter of kind of planning. And I, I love what I do. I love my job. So, you know, it's really amazing that, that things fell together the way they did. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, Sarah and Emily, you, I believe, both also took time off before pursuing additional degrees. That's right. Yeah. Um, How long did you take, guys take off? Oh, uh, Emily, you want to go first? Oh, sure. Um, I took off about two years, but um, kind of like like what Lindsay was saying, kind of just happened. It kind of fell together. It wasn't exactly a, a planned um, thing to take off uh, two years in particular. Um, I graduated from an undergrad and started doing some internships and then an internship led to a job and I had thought about going to back to school but hadn't really put much thought into it yet and then at, right from a uh, internship I was offered a job and then that job um, hinged on me going back to school and it was one of those like all right I uh, I guess I'm going back to school <laughs> and um, it just one thing just fell into another and it was one of those just great situations where it's like all right I guess I'm doing this and um, I was fortunate that a bunch of my friends and supervisors had gone to uh, where I ended up getting my master's uh, Northern Arizona University so I was able to visit uh, check it out and essentially be Badgered into going there, but badgered in all the good ways. Like, gotta go here. Like, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I will. And, uh, ended up going there and I, uh, I graduated from there in, uh, back in 2012. And yeah, I, I think the two years off was, at, they were absolutely essential. Um, cause I think I would have gone in a completely different direction. Um, I was more interested in, uh, museum studies, but at the same time, um, a much, uh, more academic field, whereas now I'm much, in a much more, uh, CRM field. And so it's just interesting the way life can take you. Yeah. I, I graduated with my undergraduate degree in 2005. So if you guys do math, you will finally figure out how old I am. Um, <laughs> I know, shock. Let's see, I graduated in 2005, and I went back from my master's in 2000. Let's see, I graduated in 2014 with my master's. So, yeah, you can do the math there. I, I don't remember when I went back, honestly. <laughs> um, but it was a – I went into kind of an accelerated program. Um, I went back for GIS. Uh, and the the school I, – I graduated with my bachelor's from IU. And uh, they also offered a GIS uh, certificate at the master's level. So, I did everything but defend. And um, – it was, it was, it was important that I took the time off in between the two because I didn't know what I wanted to focus on. I still don't know what I want to focus on, uh, in archaeology. So it would have been a complete waste of my time and everybody else's to go directly into my master's. I do know that I probably don't want to be, I like, I, I knew I didn't want to teach. So I knew I didn't want to do, you know, the PhD route. So that's why I haven't gone back to pursue that. But I do like the digging and I like the research and I like, you know, doing the doing that end of it all, which is why I went back for the, the GIS, because I was hoping that I would be able to, you know, get back into the field and back into doing the CRM, working with maps and predictive models. So but I didn't I mean, that stuff was not even talked about. 
when I graduated. So it wasn't even an option that I knew I had available to me until I went back, until I started looking at going back for my master's because I got into a rut uh, just shovel bombing because we got to the point where, you know, I wanted to start moving up the ranks and you can't in CRM unless you have a certain level of education. And so I was willing to go bite the bullet to get the education so that I could have the promotions, but I still wasn't positive what I wanted to do. So I was like, well, CRM seems like it'll be the most practical. Uh, the, the field's going digital. So having a background in, in a digital field would probably be not be the worst idea in the world. So that's why I went and did that. Um, and yeah, and then I graduated in 2014, so. Excellent. So, Lindsay and, and Sarah, just a heads up, I have to use GIS for one of the classes I'm taking this semester. Nice. Have some <laughs> questions for you. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> um, I have used the, the software before, but. Which software are you guys using? Um, ArcGIS. Okay. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, have you used it before? Nowhere near as in-depth as I'm going to have to this semester. Yeah, RTIS is a workhorse if you know how to do it. Yep. So. It can be a lot of fun, the way you can do modeling in there. It's yeah. just a better... Like, the best advice I can give for that kind of thing is just keep clicking. Yeah. And then eventually, <laughs> you'll do what you want to do. So it's like, keep hitting the buttons. <laughs> sometimes right, you got it. Sometimes you have to convince it that it really can do the thing you're telling it that it needs to do. <laughs> It just needs that little push every once in a while. Right off the cliff. For sure. <laughs> so. <laughs> Things to look forward to, Lindsay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I actually have a, a slightly different educational track, I guess. I actually did go directly into my master's from my undergraduate degree. Um, I was always really, really interested in osteology and bioarchaeology and forensic anthropology and... Um, skeletons and mummies. So when I was finishing up my undergrad, I started looking into master's programs because I wanted to learn more and uh, really wanted to, to focus in and specialize on, on osteology. I found a program at the um, Durham University in Durham, England and went and did a, a one-year master's there. Nice. And it was amazing. I bet. <laughs> um, it was, I mean, it was a lot because it's accelerated. It is um, you know, all the classes and a research project and you have a year. Um, but I really, I really did enjoy it. And then when I, when I finished my master's, I was thinking about a PhD, but I will admit to having a little bit of academic burnout. Uh, you know, I'd been in school since I was five and I love school. Clearly I'm getting my PhD. I did decide to go back. <laughs> But I decided that I should probably go see the real world <laughs> before I, I committed to uh, academia 100%. And like I said earlier, it took about three and a half years out. And, you know, it was, it was really good. And I actually wasn't even sure I was going to go back for a, a PhD. And it was a little bit serendipitous. I got a, a job at one of the Smithsonian Museums in downtown Washington, D.C. and happened to run into one of their curators of human remains. And he invited me back to his lab and we started talking and he asked if I was planning on getting a PhD. And I said, I wasn't sure. And he looked at me and went, well, you should. American has a program. <laughs> nice. <laughs> 
And I went, oh, didn't realize that. You go fast forward. Three months later, I was applying and got in and I'm now working, working on my PhD. How much time but have you got left on it? That depends. <laughs> um, Do you have coursework with the PhD? Yes. So American does require coursework. If you come in with a master's, you have to do two years of coursework. If you come in directly from undergrad, which does happen, but not as regularly as, as um, people who are coming in for their PhD who already have a master's. If you're coming in from undergrad, you have to do three years of coursework. And then the way that they generally structure it is you try and find external funding to cover the research that you want to do, whether it's going to be one field season or, uh, you know, an, an entire year of sociocultural research or whatever is appropriate for your project. And then they really like you to do the next year in D.C. writing up. So ideally, you could be done in three or four, depending on how long your research takes. Um, I will probably take four years. Oh, that's so, cool. um, so of the four years, how many of them have you done? I'm starting my second year. Oh, so okay. that's, that's the answer. So yeah. I still... Three more, another year of classes and research and then writing up. And one comp down. And one comp down, yes. <laughs> um, it's always a, a good sigh of relief. Um, Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, I know that's nerve-wracking. Yeah. Um, yes. But other than kind of the, the serendipitous um, meeting of, of Doug Owsley, I also realized that if I was going to be able to do what I want to do, which ideally would, would be to do um, curatorial or collections management work, that having a PhD is, is going to be really helpful for that um, and is going to significantly improve my chances of being able to get that job. It is, of course, not a guarantee. Nothing is. Right. Um, but I figured anything I could do to improve my chances of being able to live the life that I want to live is probably something I should undertake. <laughs> I think that's why that most of sense. us go back is because we're hoping to improve. I mean, obviously, we all like school or else we wouldn't have even bothered. Um, <laughs> you know, honestly, if I could just stay in college, I probably would. But it, it costs <laughs> money after a while and they eventually make you leave. Um, but yeah, most of us, I think, went back specifically to improve our chances in our own fields. Definitely. Mm-hmm. For sure. So coming at this from a primarily academic background, I know that having, if you want to teach, kind of need a PhD. It helps for, for museum jobs as well. In CRM, is there kind of an ideal level of education or, um, I know we've touched on this briefly in some other episodes, but. It has been explained to me, and Emily, you can correct me, um, that in CRM, you want to stop at your master's unless you want to be a PI. Um, and I think there are ways to get around the PhD requirement for the PI, the principal investigator, um, but that's a state-by-state -state uh, basis. Mm -hmm. uh, getting education beyond your PhD in CRM, or I'm sorry, beyond your master's in CRM tends to price you out of the field. And I mean, to be blunt, you're not going to make a lot of money to begin with, even with a master's. So it would behoove you not to basically overeducate yourself. Uh, because you just you're not going to find work. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. Um, especially and, and unfortunately, as the what's been mentioned in some of the other episodes, that you have you know a lot of techs even with um, PhDs, and I think it even causes an atmosphere of resentment. And so I think 
there can be issues there as well. Not necessarily just even the pay, but um, if you have a tech that's a PhD and you have then a crew chief that has their bachelor's but a lot of experience, it can cause resentment in the field. So I think there is something to definitely saying that if you're in CRM and you have your master's, that's a good place to stop unless you're hoping to get really high up there and practically run the company. Yeah, and I'm not going to lie to people, that's pretty freaking rare. So mm-hmm. your best, honestly, in CRM, your best bets to decide where you want to be. Like if you're if you're content digging holes, if you're content doing the grunt work and and being the person who actually produces the data, you don't need a master's. If you you can stop with your bachelor's there. Um, if you want to be somebody who you know leads the crews and writes the paper, writes the reports, and and keeps track of everything, and and some people do. Uh, you're going to need your master's for that. If you mm. want to be the person whose name goes on the report and who gets all the credit for everything, <laughs> uh, then you're going to want your PhD. But <laughs> having your PhD does not guarantee you PI work. Mm-hmm. Uh, neither well, does having your RPA. Guarantee you that either. No, it doesn't. And we've, I think we've touched on this a little bit in some of the past episodes. Is there's a, a really bad rash of. Um, I want to say grade inflation, but that's not the word I'm looking for. But basically, companies are now looking for advanced degrees for positions that could easily be filled by uh, a bachelor's. And this is causing some problems in the field right now because a lot of people knowing these things don't pursue their master's degrees and unfortunately they're getting pushed out because they don't have the they're not meeting the education requirements that a lot of companies are requesting let's take a break real quick and when we come back we will start talking about work-life balance The CRM Archaeology Podcast brings together a panel of cultural resource management professionals to discuss the issues that really matter to the profession. Find out about networking strategies, job hunting, graduate programs, and much more. We'll often feature interviews with college professors, CRM business owners, and experts as well. Check out the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash CRM Arc Podcast. Let's get back to the show. And we are back. And Chelsea, you wanted to move us on into the actual balancing of educating yourself and living and all of the other things that fall in between. Yeah. So when this topic actually came up recently, I participated in orientation for the the new students um, who are our incoming grad students this year who, you know, asked some really great questions about readjusting to being a student and for people who, you know, had gone out and gotten a job and were still trying to work part time or maybe had kids, you know, whatever it was, how do you balance being a student and whatever else it is you're doing? And it can certainly be, be difficult. Um, I mean, my best piece of advice is set boundaries. Um, set a schedule, say, I'm going to do schoolwork at this point in time and, and treat it like a little bit of a job um, for your own like mental health uh, and sanity. Also, build in time to just be whoever you are and to sit on your couch and binge watch whatever show it is you feel like binge watching or um, 
watch sports or, you know, whatever it is that you, that you want to do, don't let your identity as student take over everything else going on in your life. That's mm-hmm. a really good advice. When, when I went back for my master's, I was working full time and I was also doing the school full time. So I actually lost all of my friends during that time. <laughs> like, I think they all thought I died because I, <laughs> I really did just quit socializing. Um, and thankfully, uh, my partner, who I'm still with, and I don't know how that happened, but, you know, he really picked up the slack. Like, he started cooking and he started cleaning. And not that he didn't already do these things. It's just, like, we kind of split it for the most part, 50-50. And when I went back to grad school, he just, without being asked, just started doing all of it. Um, and that is pretty much the only reason why I didn't just kind of live in a house of filth that I just migrated from to go to work and then to go to school and then come home with my fast food and eat. But but I did graduate, so it can be done. It's just not fun. And I would totally, if I could do it again, I would do like Chelsea said and, and definitely space my time out a little better. Yeah, I was in a very similar boat as Sarah, but um, I, it was a terminal master's program. and Which so means was at like the end they years. kill you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or you feel like you want to die. <laughs> They're like, I'm done. No. <laughs> And so they tried to get you out in two years. And so going to school full time and I had two jobs. I was working for the Forest Service and I was working um, as a teaching assistant. Are you are you just trying to one up me? Is that, is that what's oh, going yeah. on? Yeah. <laughs> what you do about it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, and so, I mean, but that's the thing. It's like, when did I sleep? I right? honestly like, don't remember. And I think, I mean, a, advice to my past self would have been like, give up something. Um, cause I mean, it, it was rough, but at the same time, uh, at the working for the forest service that helped me work on my thesis. Cause all my research was coming from there doing the TA stuff. It gave me teaching experience and that was great, but you're right. You need to have something. And, um, for me, it was two different things. My cohort was really close and I love cooking. So I would go to the lab and bring people food and I'd be like, I made shepherd's pie, shepherd's pie for everybody. Um, <laughs> or I'd make a homemade lasagna or quiche or something like that. Otherwise, I would just sit there and eat the entire pan and be like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> And so cooking, I know for me, was very helpful. And then the other one... um, between all of the texts we were reading, uh, archaeological theory, anthropological theory, heady stuff, I forced myself, really didn't take too much forcing, um, every week I needed to read a trashy romance novel. Nice. Nice. Dumber the better. <laughs> Regency era, something with a kilt on it. I just I just call it what it is, and I just call it smut because oh, it, yeah. it, it's smut with a plot line, and that's really all it is. Did you, did you have your monthly breakdowns? Oh, definitely. Because I, I, yeah, we just curl up in a corner and you just kind of cry. You're like, what am I doing with my life? Pretty much. And I was lucky too. And and my partner, I met my fiance in grad school and he would know. And he'd just be like, (laughs) I made you brownies. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. It's it's very important to have a supportive partner if you can. Oh yeah, he's an archaeologist too, so he he got it. He was like, oh, she's reading that text now, or oh, she's got to write that report now. Ooh, oh my god, the (laughs) nights before tests were like the worst because I had one teacher that would give us uh, take home tests. Oh my god. Uh, but yeah, my boyfriend he would just 
bring me food. Like I would just be sitting there with the, cause I wouldn't be able to take him until I got home from work. So I would start these tests at like six o'clock in the evening and he would just bring me a plate of food and he'd just come in every hour or so and make sure I had enough tea in my cup. And it, oh, it, it was nice. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. Wonderful. So Lindsay, Hi. how's it going? <laughs> um, well, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, as far as work life balance, um, you know, I think you guys have really great ideas. Um, it's a little different in my situation because with a one-year-old, you know, boundaries are not a thing. Like you don't go to the bathroom <laughs> by yourself, you know. Um, <laughs> um, and you know, especially I told you, like I had the experience with like undergoing like a move from state to state. You know, starting a, a full-time job for the first time, like you know, in my second semester. Are you I, a single parent too? I am now. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I and it just yeah, there's there's a lot, you know. And so I would say that um, as far as um, what, kind of what helps me to just to just do it, and I'm again I'm just doing a certificate, but you know again once you have a little one, you know everything else that you would have done outside of them gets a lot harder. Right. <laughs> oh, you know. So I'm setting attainable goals right now, and you know still thinking about grad school one day. But is is something similar to what you guys are talking about, which is support system. I mean, for my final my final exams last semester my mom came to visit um and was here for weeks oh my god and she would take my daughter and say go do your work and i would say okay well the bottles are here and and she'd be like go do your work and i'd say okay well i'll be back it and she'd go go do your work (laughs) she's like i've already raised one kid i think i can handle another one (laughs) it was like and and um you know, it, it, it was it was a huge weight off my shoulders. It really helped me pull through. And also <laughs> food. <laughs> oh yeah. Everybody saying there's something to be said about I think you said this, Chelsea. Your brain needs that I don't know, dumb time is what I want to call it. But mm-hmm. you know, just like some some moment to like zone out. Like your brain needs rest too. And, um, you know, working that in wherever you can, even it's I mean, for me it's it's, you know, just in other little things that I do throughout the day, because there is not going to be a time when I'm not doing something that needs to be done. But, you know, I, I get to get into bed and snuggle and read kids books at night and, you know, pass out next to my, my, my little one and wake up at two and go, Oh, wait, I have this thing I've got to do. But, you know, I really needed, I really needed that, that time to, to kind of get that rest in. And that's really a huge part. Yeah. For me, I'd say up until at least recently, balance hasn't been any part of it, but I've still managed to pull through it, (laughs) you know? Um, and you you can do that. You can you can pull through the rough parts by, you know, using your resources and, and it does pay off. So 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 far I'm not hearing much in the way of any of us managing balance. So <laughs> <laughs> Hey Chelsea, how did you do it? <laughs> but it's a Oh, you've got a lot of faith in me. Because <laughs> so far all I've heard is train wreck, train wreck, not quite as bad of a train wreck, but still kind of a train wreck. Oh god. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean chelsea's so, like god i was hoping you all hard. would have cues <laughs> <laughs> so i mean i i'm a full-time phd student which involves all of my classes as well as being a research assistant and a ta for a class which should take up about 20 hours of, of my week um <laughs> emphasis on should <laughs> although i i will admit 
and this is part of where my, my boundaries um, statement comes from, I learned real fast how to say no. There you go. Uh, because you just don't have unlimited time. But in addition to that, I also work part-time down at the, the Smithsonian. I'm in natural history in the Arctic Studies Center. And we have really cool stuff on social media. And I'll throw the link up and anyone who wants to hear about really cool Arctic and subarctic archaeology that's going on and a, a little bit of anthropology, feel free to follow along. Good, because we uh, need links. I need links for the show. I guess I will. I will send you a link. That's my little bit of a tangential pitch. <laughs> Please excuse it. Usually, so I do have that that job as well. I have to say, I have a dog who's actually really great for the oh. the balance because it doesn't matter if I have a comprehensive exam to work on or a final paper or thirty undergrad midterms to work on grading or whatever it is. You know, when it's dinner time, it's dinner time. And you better believe she knows when it's dinner time. <laughs> um, and when it's time to go for walks. And just having something in my life who is by no means as demanding as a baby. And I don't know how you do it, Lindsay. But just having that that little presence to remind me to step away, even if it's just for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes to, to take my dog for a walk is really great. I have amazing friends uh, who invite me over for Friday night and feed me and, you know, oftentimes I'll, I'll crash on their couch and bring my dog and the following morning I get breakfast and... Those are good friends. ...binge watch TV together and it's it's really wonderful. And I guess the other big thing is I'm also really into swing dancing oh, and... That's so fun. I yes. routinely volunteer at one of the, the local swing venues. If I sign up to volunteer, I can guarantee that I will actually show up at the dance rather than have the night of a dance roll around and say, well, I could go and it would be a lot of fun, but I'm also sitting at home on my couch cuddling with my dog watching Supernatural. So you're kind of like <laughs> committing yourself by volunteering yourself. Right. And then I go and I volunteer for an hour and I get in free and then I'm there. So I dance for several hours and it is <laughs> personally enforced socialization and physical activity that has absolutely nothing to do with my PhD program. And it is so great to just turn off my brain and just be. And sometimes that works better than others. Um, comprehensive exam for the last two weekends, I have basically sat in front of my computer or with a book in my lap and done absolutely nothing but study. So balance hasn't exactly existed in my life for the last two weeks. But for a short period of time, you can get through just about anything. Right, right, exactly. All right. Well, it's interesting to see the different coping mechanisms that we've all come up with because it sounds like we all did and we all do have some. I mean, Emily and I got smart and we're like, uh, we're out. Uh, you two, for whatever reason, are deciding to torture yourselves. Um, but see, Emily, Emily made the dreaded comment that she might go back for her PhD. So things to look forward to. <laughs> oh yeah, when I, you know, win the lottery or something. Right. You know, when I get rid of, when I become a rich and famous archaeologist and I can pay for school. Right. Uh, we're actually we're actually going to talk about that uh, because I think we all had a different. I think we all had a slightly different funding plan when we went back. Um, and Chelsea, of course, hit the jackpot, so we're going to interrogate her. But I think we're going to go to break. And when we come back, we're going to start the discussion on how exactly we paid for this education that we now have. All these things we make no apology for the study of archaeology. 
but we don't do dinosaurs. Did aliens build Stonehenge? Did the Easter Island statues walk? Did the Vikings colonize Midwest America? What does mainstream archaeology have to say about all of this? Listen to the Archaeological Fantasies podcast and learn about popular archaeological mysteries. Hoax or fact? Learn to tell the difference with Dr. Kenneth Fader and co-host Sarah of the Archie Fantasies blog. Check out the show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash Archie Fantasies and get ready to think critically. Let's get back to the show. Funny bitty blokes you will see are a staple of archaeology. And we are back and we are talking about how we paid for all of this beautiful education that we now have represented by tiny pieces of paper. So um, I'm going to save Chelsea for last because, like I said, she she apparently hit the jackpot. But uh, for me, and I don't know about you, Lindsay, but I paid for mine and, and Emily probably too. I paid for mine out of pocket. Um, I was able to get uh, Fed loans for my undergrad or I'm sorry, for my graduate degree. And so I still technically own the government money, but I don't know anybody else money. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. how I paid for mine, which is nice because it's like, Fantastic. yeah. once you, once you have the student loan thing figured out, I mean, I know a lot of people freak out about it, but the reality of it is, and I don't, I don't think a lot of people know this, um, but you can have your student loans adjusted to your income level. So if you have to the point where you will owe nothing, um, a couple of years ago, this is something that I had to do with my undergraduate uh, loans is I wasn't making enough. And so I called them. You do have to call them. And I think you can go to the website to get it started, but you do have to call them. And uh, you can have your student loans adjusted to the point that your payback amount for the for a year can be reduced to zero. And then they just readjust it as per your income. And it's called income-based uh, reimbursement. So anybody who has loans should totally look into that. It will save you crap tons of money and worry. Yeah. And when you're in graduate school, you can put your undergrad loans into deferment. Yes. Which is a good thing. So handy dandy advice. Yeah, I think so. So Emily, how did you pay for yours? Um, A combination of things. Um, I was able to get in-state tuition um, and then part of uh, – Working as a TA um, and research assistant, um, they give you a, a little extra more, you know, a little, a little extra money scholarship-wise. Because fortunately, because it's a terminal master's program, they don't have a PhD program at NAU. All the funding goes straight to the, the master's students. So we all got a combination of things yearly between um, in-state tuition and a couple other things. And then I did have to take out some government subsidized loans. So fortunately, just the government. And then on top of that, and I looked out this way. Um, I worked for the Forest Service before going to grad school, and I worked um, as a reed archaeologist, so a red-carded archaeologist, and that meant I could go on wildfires. And oh, wow. because you're uh, essentially, quote-unquote, putting your life on the line, you yeah. get hazard pay. And so that's uh, on top of your hourly pay. And then most of the times your shift could be anywhere from 10 hours to 18 hours long. So then you're getting then, you know, overtime. So between overtime and hazard pay, I was able to save up quite a bit of money. Um, I was able to like pay for a graduate school computer 
in cash and be able to put my rent down in cash and stuff like that. So um, I think a, a big helper there was having some money saved before going to school. And that was all all due to wildfire. So yay, lightning strikes. Uh, yeah, I definitely want to back up what Emily said. And I, I did mention I was working full time when I went back and I had some money set aside specifically for that. So I didn't have to take out as much. But yeah, working... Yeah, working while you're trying to go to school can help pay the bills and can help keep the loans down because you can pay for your own food and your own lodging and all that. Um, you don't have to get loans for that, but it takes its toll. So make sure yes. if you're going to do that, make sure you're doing a job that is either completely okay with the fact that you're going to be brain dead sometimes um, or get a job that, you know, it gives you enough flex time that you can plan around your school. So, Lindsay, how did how are you doing it? Yeah, that flexible schedule is really huge, actually. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a 40-hour work week to do, but, um, you know, my workplace kind of has been very understanding about my needing to, you know, I had a, had a lab to do tonight. So, I pulled like a seven-hour day and was like, okay, you know, I got to do a thing. I'll, I'll, I'll be in for a longer day later this week. And okay cool yep. you know it, it was that's it, nice it's great to have that if you if if you uh if you do um and as far as um going back to school in undergrad i had taken out loans and my parents helped me and i worked four jobs and um but you know that i sorry <laughs> you're fine coming back um and this is the great thing about you know setting your sights on something you know a little maybe less grand but you know practical like um like a certificate from a community college that you can do online is that once you're in state anyway my my tuition and fees are very affordable and yeah i do at this point just pay them out of pocket um oh, nice but i this is something i really owe my my mother-in-law my ex-mother-in-law a lot of thanks for is um in the very beginning i had just moved to to the south from colorado and it takes a year in north carolina to be an in-state resident and to be qualified for in-state tuition and so i was like i can't do it yet you know i really need to uh, like it was a difference of i mean it was like three times as much i think to um to go to, you know, with, uh, with out-of-state tuition than it was within state. And just as a matter of practicality, I was like, yeah, you know, wait another three months, right? Right. She helped me with it. And she babysat every week, you know, the whole reason I got off the ground, I think, with, with school, going back to school in the first place was her. So, um, so that really helped a great deal. And then, uh, this semester, I just paid out of pocket and uh, I mean, it was for the semester, it was less than $500. So, I mean, that's really it's, good. <laughs> it's awesome. And so, you know, again, maybe one day I might like to think about a graduate degree, but right now for, you know, everything that, that I've got to do, this is, this has been the perfect fit. So, okay. Chelsea, how, uh, how do, how do we do this the right way? So I guess I've got both some, some masters and some PhD level thoughts. Okay. Um, if you want to go the, the terminal master's route and you just want to do your master's, I really cannot suggest Europe enough if that's feasible. And I realize for a lot of people it isn't. Hey, Germany's taking American students for free. Germany's taking American students for free. When I was in the UK, international fees in, in Britain were capped at like somewhere around 12,000 pounds, maybe, which I mean, like, yes, it's a lot of money. On the other hand, I know some American universities that a master's degree is 
you know, thirty to sixty thousand dollars a year. Exactly. And also, if the master's program is only one year, you only have to pay for one year. There you go. You know, and, and do your homework. There are, depending on what you want to use the the master's for, make sure that that degree will transfer. There is a little bit of paperwork that you have to fill out, uh, particularly if you want a government job, mm-hmm. to essentially say yes, the master's that I got is the equivalent of a master's that I that I could have gotten in in this country, but go abroad, go in-state or uh, certificate program at a community college. You know, there are options that don't necessarily have to be insanely expensive. Save some money. That was big. Um, coming into the PhD, I had a regular real person job for several years. And I'm naturally inclined towards saving money, you know, but having that little bit of a cushion for books because books are expensive and rent and everything else that, that pops up um, is really great. And, and Sarah, like you said, I did hit the, the jackpot a little bit. Um, my PhD is fully funded which is amazing. It does uh, come with those 20 hours of work that I should be doing a week in research assistance and uh, teaching assistantships. Um, now, how did you get that? Were you, were you recommended for it? Did you apply for it? Did you just happen to show up at the right time? So it, it varies a little bit from university to university and department to department. And the one thing I can say is talk to people beforehand. Um, I know people who've applied for PhDs without having contacted the advisor in the department that they want to work with or the secretary of the department to ask about funding issues. Um, AU is is nice. Their PhD students are all fully funded for three or four years. If you go longer than that, the funding has to be readdressed. But there are certainly universities that guarantee funding for one year. And then moving on, you're fighting for TA ships where there are not going to be as many positions as there are TAs available. You're having to get jobs at somewhere outside of school to, to try and pay for things. So know what you're getting into. Um, talk to people in the department. Departmental secretaries are wonderful resources for what is available. If you do apply, is everyone automatically considered for funding or do you have to submit additional uh, paperwork and documentation and application steps if you want to be considered for funding? And additionally, you can have projects that have some money attached to them. So if the person you really want to work for happens to have an NSF grant that pays for a research assistant. That may not be something that the school can talk to you or can guarantee you, but if you talk to the advisor and, you know, they're very interested in having you come work for them, there is always a possibility that your advisor can pay you. So just know what you're getting into. I mean, I talked to a lot of people at a lot of universities when I was uh, looking into, into PhD programs and... Some universities are really great about funding and some universities are not. Be smart about it. <laughs> Cross your fingers. <laughs> yeah. My old undergraduate uh, advisor used to tell me not to go to any school for your PhD that wasn't going to pay for you. And so I read that a lot too. Yeah. So I, I actually took that to heart. I'm like, well, unless the school or my company is going to pay me to go get my PhD, I obviously don't need it. So that's kind of where I took that. But, you know, Chelsea, you, you've mentioned, I mean, you want to work in the museum and are you planning on teaching with that? Maybe. Maybe. Well, uh, and that's pretty much the only way you can get to a teaching position, isn't it? Yes. Some community colleges will allow you to teach with a master's. There, There is a reason that I like museums. 
particularly behind the scenes aspects of museums. And there is a reason that I study people who have been deceased for quite a while. Because dead people can't complain? It's part of it. <laughs> I mean, I, I like the public and I have certainly had wonderful experiences participating in public programs as part of a museum, but I am at heart an introvert and I can go and be charming and intelligent and engaging and whatever else you need me to be. For a period. Right. <laughs> and then I really need you to leave me alone <laughs> in my lab for a while. Um, we call it decompression time. Exactly. Exactly. So teaching, maybe, but teaching, particularly if you go and you get a tenure track job, is a lot of face-to-face -face time with a lot of people. And I, I'm not going to completely dismiss it out of hand because you never know. Um, and I have certainly, you know, taught some individual classes as part of my TA ship and have really enjoyed the teaching process, but I don't know that it's, it's my end goal. It could be argued that a lot of professors themselves are introverts, so, uh, you'll, you'll fit in is what I'm saying. <laughs> I think that that is probably true. So we've all dumped a lot of money, either our own or someone else's into our educations. Um, mm -hmm. how do we feel about it? Do we, do we feel like we're getting... Are we getting out of them what we thought we were going to get out of them? Are we getting out of them what we put into them? So the way that I look at it, and it is going to be a little bit different because I am in a, in a funded situation, I managed to get someone to agree to pay me to do something I love. <laughs> Admittedly, I don't think that any grad stipends are wonderful, and you certainly have to budget and be very financially responsible but I managed to convince someone to pay me to let me continue to do something I love to do, regardless of whether or not my PhD actually allows me to get a job in a museum or teaching or anything else. I got to spend another four years doing something I love, and it's uh, I can't regret that. Well, so Emily, was it was uh -huh. it worth it? I would say, for the most part, yes. I mean, it, and it really depends what part of the season I'm in. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, how much work there is. Um, I think the hard thing, and it's not so much the MA itself, but kind of where you live or and if you can't move around as much. Because I found the MA um, incredibly helpful uh, once I was out and I could travel quite a bit to do federal work. And so I could do um, a seasonal to a term in California. I worked for Sequoia and Kings National Parks and I was able to go higher up and pay and so on and so forth. And then it, it definitely helps open doors. However, I did find though once my fiance and I moved to uh, Colorado, having that permanency, the MA, it's helpful to a point because I, I don't want to, you know, live eight months to a year away. <laughs> Right. from my fiance. And so it, it, it's not so much the MA, but the strictures of the area. But for the most part, I've, I've found it incredibly helpful. Um, even in areas outside of archaeology, uh, once the season comes to a close, I'm able to uh, have a long-term substitute license and be able to do these long-term teaching positions at uh, different schools in Grand Junction, um, which I absolutely love. So I could do a month 
of high school Latin, and I could also do two weeks of kindergarten. <laughs> a big, great. big range. And, um, and I'm very lucky. Uh, you, Chelsea, you're totally right. You don't usually get to teach, especially tenure track with an MA. However, I will be getting to teach an intro class, um, at the local university as an instructor. Granted, yeah, it's not tenure, but there are possibilities. So I think there are a lot of possibilities if you find different ways to use your MA. It might not be exactly what you want to do. I mean, I found it's not exactly what I was 100% hoping to do right out of graduate school, but I have found it useful. Lizzie, how are you, however? You played the game correctly. You're the winner in this round. (laughs) (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. No, um... I I I feel good about where my uh, my certificate has gotten me to for sure. I would say Emily, what you're saying about being able to just drop everything and go, helping you in the field is definitely something I I always experienced um, before doing what I do now. Um, you know, so even kind of at the tech level, if you can just, I mean, if you can drop wherever you're at, whatever you're doing and be there in a couple days and, you know, you can have some, some amazing experiences. I mean, I've gotten to work in Alaska in the back country and, you know, in the Great Basin where Emily's working and, you know, here in, on the East coast and in the Southeast and, kind of got to, to see a little bit of everything. But now that what I really need is to, you know, be mom and be in one place and provide a, a stable environment, the job I'm in is absolutely an amazing opportunity. I mean, it's, I still get to have archaeologist as my title. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that that makes you feel good, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Um, and, and yeah, we do, we do kind of use GIS just, you know, sort of singularly too. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> I also could not have gotten the position that I'm in if I hadn't had some experience with GIS. And when I went into my interview, I was like, you know, I've, I've really just done my labs for school, you know, but um, luckily what they were looking for was, you know, somebody to be the GIS person and somebody to be the archaeologist person. But, you know, have us be able to sort of translate, you know, both of us to understand what the other hand is doing. And so that's important, though. Yeah. So what I'm able to do is kind of get some experience under my belt while I'm still in school and and maybe have a better understanding of you know how GIS is used um, this is this is a contract position so um, you know when this contract is is done I'll have gained something from um, being able to to get into the position that I'm in now and you know our our I work in a government office are the full-time employees people who hold master's degrees absolutely but that you know I, I just wasn't ready for it right now um, and what I did do has gotten me where I needed to be. So I feel, I feel like it was worth it. All right. Well, we've got just a few minutes left. Who wants to share their final thoughts on this topic? Chelsea, you want to start with you? I guess my thoughts on school are, you're, I mean, we've, we've said this at various points during the show, additional schooling, whether it be a certificate, a master's or a PhD does not guarantee you the job that you want. Um, but I think it's important to get the degree if it's really going to allow you to do what's going to make you happy. Um, but also go into it with your, with your eyes open, um, about the, the realities of work life balance and funding issues and the chances of getting a, a job afterwards and the stress that it's going to put on you individually, but also your friends and your significant others. Um, 
you know, I started the program and one of my friends said, hope you're not dating anyone because if you are now, you won't be by the time you're done. I've heard oh. that a lot. Oh, man. And you know what? There's a reason that yep. there are not a lot of PhD people, or at least in my department, who are in serious long-term yeah. relationships because it's hard. So so go for it, but, but be aware of what you're getting yourself into. That that was an honest concern of mine when I went back for my master's degree and my partner and I had to have a long discussion about that um, because I I know I knew how much of a strain it was going to put on me personally. And of course, that's just, you know, stress just makes you the most enjoyable person to be around. Right. Um, and, I, you know, I explained that to him. I was like, you know, this is this is what's going to happen. He's like, well, it's going to help you with your career. So let's do it. And we did, and we made it through. But that's, I think, because we had an adult conversation about it before, mm. you know, we made that decision. And I I hate to say it this way, but when you're in a relationship and you decide to do something like this, it's no longer a you decision. It's an us decision. Because mm-hmm. um, I think if you're going into it with the mindset of it's a me decision and it's a me decision only, you might want to reevaluate that relationship you're in. Mm-hmm. So, But yeah, to harken back to what we talked about early in the episode survival is surviving advanced degrees is a lot to do with the support system you put around yourself, uh, the people you choose to support yourself with and understanding your own limits and learning like Chelsea did to say no pretty early. I didn't learn to do that. And it, it was a very stressful period, but I'm, I'm glad I did it. Just to, to add on with all that, I think too, it's like, yeah, think carefully if it's something you want to do. If you want to go to grad school, that's great, but put a lot of thought into it. But at the same time, there's no rush and it's never too late. Um, there are plenty of people who get their master's and heck, their PhD much later in life or even as a second career. Right. Um, and I feel like sometimes there's this rush right out of undergraduate uh, or at, right out of um, your undergrad that like, oh gosh, I only have this much time. I now need to get my master's and now I need to get my PhD and then I'll be in the workforce and then I'll be in the workforce. I can do this and it'll lead me to this. It's kind of like, slow down, mm-hmm. <laughs> take a breath. There's <laughs> just not, not as big a rush as there may seem. It, it's much better to take the time, figure out you want, what you want to do, and just know, heck, like, for myself, I may want to get a PhD someday, but I don't need to get it right now. I might get it when I retire, just to, you know, die with the PhD after my name, but it's not, not? something I need in my <laughs> lifetime. Yeah. Anyway, Lindsay, yeah. final thoughts? Yeah, I think it's I think it's all about um, what you need to be able to do, you know? I mean, you guys... Um, with the, the master's degrees essentially needed to be permittable, right? You know, so that you could work in CRM and, um, Chelsea, you're, you're working toward doing museum studies and you know what you need to get there. And, you know, same, same for me. So, um, I would say just assess, um, what your ideal situation is. And, um, I like what you said about take the time to do it a step at a time, you know, and see how it's going for you and see if, you know, can I, can I do this for 40 hours a week and not lose my mind? You know, like, is this, <laughs> is this, is this the right thing? And if it isn't, you can change too. I mean, but, um, for me and, in, in I guess the message that I want to <laughs> give out of, out of this is, you know, whatever it is you're trying to get to, um, whatever the circumstances, you know, I don't remember who it was that said it, but like, you can do just about anything for a couple of weeks, you know, the hard parts are going to pass, you, you just have to power through. But, um, but yeah, whatever it is you're trying to get to, 
even if balance is no part of it, (laughs) um, you can do it. Well, ladies, thank you very much for being on the podcast with me today. That was great. And Chelsea, thank you very much for leading us in. Would you like to take us out? Sure. So, I mean, it's been great talking to to you guys tonight. There's certainly a lot of reasons why people both decide to, to leave school and to, to go back. I think we've covered a, a good range of them. And just thanks so much for, for jumping on and talking about it. And I'll see you all next time. We hope you have enjoyed the show. Please be sure to subscribe and rate our show wherever you listen. We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and probably whatever your favorite podcasting app is. Remember to like and share. If you have questions or comments, you can post them in the comments section for the show at the Women in Archaeology page on the Archaeology Podcasting Network site. Or email them to us at womeninarchaeologypodcast at gmail.com. This show is part of the Archaeology Podcasting Network and is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle. You can reach them at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Music for this show was Retro Future by Kevin McLeod, available at Incomptep and royalty-free music. Thanks for listening. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.